they have missed on all vaccines. We call them zero-dose children, or in other terms, we call them the left-outs, which refers to the fact that they are not reached by any sort of available services. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Before COVID, more and more children around the world were receiving their routine vaccinations on time and in full. But COVID severely interrupted that progress. Today, we are seeing lagging indicators of interrupted childhood vaccinations in the form of outbreaks of vaccine-preventable diseases like measles and diphtheria. To reverse this trend, a number of global health entities, including the World Health Organization, UNICEF, the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunizations, Gavi, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, have joined forces for what they call the big catch-up to boost vaccination among children following declines driven by the COVID-19 pandemic. Joining me to discuss trends in routine childhood vaccinations around the world, the impact of COVID-19 on those trends, and what can be done to restore progress is Dr. Ephraim Lamengo. He is the Associate Director of Immunization at UNICEF headquarters in New York. When we spoke, he was attending a meeting of health officials in Addis Ababa. One of the big global trends of the last few years has been the way in which progress against a number of health and development indicators was halted and reversed because of the COVID pandemic. This conversation gives you key insights into why that is and what the international community and global health partners around the world are doing to kickstart progress after years of stagnation or decline. Now here is my conversation with Dr. Ephraim Lamengo of UNICEF. Can I have you explain what some of the general trends were around routine childhood vaccinations before COVID? What did progress look like then? The overall progress on routine immunization has been quite promising, starting the earlier days of the 1980s, where routine immunization coverage in countries was about 20% in general of the key life-saving vaccines. But over a decade period, that increased to 70% due to global joint effort across partners and governments through the new program called the Expanded Program of Immunization. This is a program that was put in place in the 1980s, and it really managed to reach children with new antigens and reach vaccination, even in the difficult situations. And this is one of UNICEF's key successes in the you know 70-year history of UNICEF was introducing and spreading routine childhood vaccinations in the 1980s. It's worth emphasizing just how a big deal that was. 
Correct. And, and immunization is a flagship program for UNICEF. And it's been one of the programs that have grown along with UNICEF in its impact in reaching children who are in disadvantaged situations. And in the earlier days of the 1980s, when the expanded program of immunization started, UNICEF had what the program called universal childhood immunization. And this was a program across several low income countries. But later on, you know, coverage improved significantly. And in the earlier days of the millennium, the Global Alliance for Vaccine was established where we had an opportunity to introduce new vaccines into the system. But what we had as a problem over the last 10 years is slowing of this progress in reaching children. There was some progress, but that was quite slower than we thought. And this was basically because reaching the last child is always difficult and global immunization coverage had already reached about 80%. So reaching one out of five children, which is the last 20%, became quite difficult because it required strong health systems uh, and it required additional financing from governments because most of these children are usually in conflict-affected situations or in urban poor settings, or these are in remote rural settings where systems do not necessarily reach or services do not necessarily reach these children. And that's why the current State of the World Children Report was heavily focusing on these important topics and has a series of messages. So in the years preceding COVID, there was progress, as you said. It was just a slower rate of progress than in the decades prior. It was just slowing down because the children you were trying to reach, by definition, were the harder to reach children. Yes, definitely. And there has been a decrease in the number of unvaccinated children. If we estimated, for example, in the earlier days of 2010, 2011, you would see on annual basis around 15.5 million children who would be completely missed out of the system through vaccination, which decreased in 2019, right before the onset of the pandemic, to as low as 13 million, which is a significant decrease, about 2 million on a yearly basis. So this is an improvement. But unfortunately, when the pandemic hit, significant backsliding came in. I do want to ask you about that backsliding. But before we get there, can you just explain what vaccines are we talking about when you say routine childhood vaccinations? So many countries have different kinds of vaccines, but there are common vaccines, most importantly, vaccines that protect children against diseases such as diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, hemophilus influenza, and hepatitis B which are given in what we call pentavalent vaccine, a one vaccine given to children when they are one month, two months, and three months old. It's like basically one vaccine for five different diseases. Yes, one vaccine given for five different vaccine-preventable diseases. And this is also given along with oral polio vaccine, a vaccine that prevents the occurrence of polio and paralysis associated with it. And there are also new vaccines that have been put in place. For example, pneumococcal vaccine, which prevents children from having pneumonia caused by a bacteria called streptococcus pneumonia. And a vaccine that prevents also occurrence of diarrhea, which is a major killer, and it's called the rota vaccine. And over time, as the global community is trying to eradicate polio, an injectable polio vaccine have also been introduced and that's used. And when the children turn six months to nine months age, they are expected to take also measles vaccine, which is also another vaccine preventable disease that can be prevented simply by taking measles vaccine twice. And in some countries, there is even more number of vaccines. And these days we are also trying to introduce malaria vaccine 
for countries with high burden of malaria. And when we're discussing vaccinated versus unvaccinated children, there are like degrees of being vaccinated or unvaccinated. There are children that are missed entirely by all vaccines. And there are also children who receive some, but perhaps not the full course of the routine childhood vaccinations, right? That is correct, Mark. We have what we call children who are zero-dose children who do not necessarily come in contact with the system. They have missed on all vaccines. We call them zero-dose children, or in other terms, we call them the left-outs, which refers to the fact that they are not reached by any sort of available services. And we have what we call under-immunized children, children who start but do not complete. Or the other term to use is dropouts, children who start vaccination schedules, but they do not necessarily complete. So these children have come in contact with the health system. So what they need is for the health services or health workers to be able to find them by understanding the major reason that they drop out. And that 13 million figure you cited for 2019, was that children who were zero dosed or partially vaccinated? That is for the zero-dose children, children who have mm-hmm. completely missed out from vaccination, were 13.3 million. And this also increased on a yearly basis, whereby in 2021, it became 18 million. So that's a huge jump. It was declining by 2 million a year prior to COVID. But then since COVID, the number of children missed entirely in their routine vaccinations has jumped significantly. What was it about COVID that caused such an interruption in the routine immunization of children in the developing world? Yes, so the number of children increased in the first year significantly from about 13.5 million to 16.5 million in 2020 and then to 18 million in 2021. So the earlier days of the pandemic where we had significant shock, but it continued even though it was in lesser amount. And the main reasons were primarily the disruption caused by the pandemic. Most importantly, families were receiving stay-at-home advices and service facilities were also closed in some places for fear of contracting the virus. So many health workers were also diverted to other COVID-19 response activities which took away scarce human resource that used to provide immunization. And this was further also precipitated by supply chain disruptions in the earlier days of the pandemic. We have seen supply chain closures, um, you know, shipping was quite difficult to even avail vaccines, which was later solved anyway, and really helped countries to catch up on those children that they had missed at that time. But there were also pre-existing challenges Zero-dose children are less served, and so they live in poor communities. Services are not available closer to them, and they are usually likely facing multiple deprivations. And so access, availability, and affordability of vaccines was also an existing challenge even before the pandemic that had contributed for a sort of stagnation of performance or improvement in routine immunization ahead of the pandemic. Vaccine confidence was another major challenge. We have seen a spillover effect of COVID-19 hesitance, which had spillover effect on routine immunization, where parents were not sure whether to have their children vaccinated or not. And varying from country to country, where there are you know, strongly opinionated political leaders or religious leaders who advise against vaccination, 
have had a significant impact in few countries. So basically like vaccine denialism, which was exacerbated by COVID-19, kind of had a spillover effect to other routine childhood vaccinations, causing parents to be perhaps more cautious or at least not believe that routine vaccinations were helpful. Partly it is, but partly is also just an overall hesitance. And you know, other parents, you might not necessarily be comfortable taking your child to vaccination if you don't understand the whole story, if you have limited understanding of what are the side effects, etc. So the intention is that there are people who deny vaccination is important and can save lives. And this is one of the things we have also included in the State of the World Children report that was just released two weeks ago, where we have seen a decrease in vaccine confidence, which is a perception whether vaccines are important for children or not. And this is a survey across 55 countries where we have seen some 52 of the countries have shown as low as 2 or 3%, but as high as 45, 46% decline in vaccine confidence. The significant chunk is hesitance or not understanding the side effects and they have worries. So they need health workers to really explain to make them understand. But there could be some part of you know the community who are vaccine deniers or who do not agree on the value of vaccines. But most importantly, in low-income countries, vaccine confidence is heavily affected by availability of vaccines. Imagine a mother who will decide to take her child to a vaccination and she may have to forego her expected chore in the house or uh, she would be missing work to really get her child to be vaccinated. But at the end of the day, when you take your child to a vaccination center, the vaccination center does not have vaccines or the health worker is not there. And the mother can't afford to lose another day to do the same. So once you lose the mother, it's very hard to get her back. And so you have lost a child from the system. So these are the key system bottlenecks. And it has a lot of opportunity cost for a mother to really go to a facility. And it's not as easy as, you know, most governments, they make vaccination easy by just providing it for free. But for the parent, there is an expense. You have to pay for transport. You have to pay for whatever opportunity cost you are incurring to yourself. So these are the key issues affecting vaccine acceptance, demand, and confidence. You know, as you said, availability is the key issue. And during COVID, for a variety of reasons, many of which related to mitigation efforts of COVID, the availability of routine childhood vaccines was you know, lower than it ought to have been. I'm wondering, from a public health perspective, in retrospect, knowing what we know now about the impact of COVID in sub-Saharan Africa versus the impact of not having easy access to routine childhood vaccinations, if in retrospect, some of these mitigation efforts might have been perhaps more harmful than intended. These are two things to compare, but difficult to compare because they target different set of groups and uh, addressing different kinds of challenge. But we can safely say the disruption caused by the pandemic has significantly impacted children immunization. And the impact has been seen by increasing number of outbreaks, vaccine preventable disease outbreaks, for example, measles. Measles outbreaks in 2021, some 22 countries reported measles outbreaks, large and disruptive measles outbreaks. But in 2022, 33 countries reported. So there is a significant increase in the number of countries reporting outbreaks. You will hear so many countries reporting diseases like diphtheria. And even you might recall some of the reports where we had vaccine preventable polio 
in New York, in London, in Israel, and so many other vaccine preventable diseases also occurring in different countries. So this really shows you that the missed number of children is exposing children for outbreak prevent uh, this vaccine preventable diseases, which could claim their life. And we have received several reports where this has led to suffering and deaths of children. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. Both could have been done together. And we still are not late to be able to address the children who may have missed vaccination and who have survived it. But it really tells a story that going forward, as we are responding to outbreaks or as we are responding to epidemics or as we respond to pandemics in the future, continuing essential services and maintaining essential services is very important. So that's fascinating to me that you are seeing just you know a few years after an increased number of missed routine childhood vaccinations, larger outbreaks of diseases that are vaccine preventable. Is there any one particular outbreak you think is illustrative of this dynamic? A very illustrative case is measles outbreak. In the African continent, some 20 countries reported in Middle East, in South Asia, so many measles outbreaks happening at a national and subnational and district levels. And measles is a clear sign of weakness in the immunization system. When you are not able to reach every child, when you are not able to immunize those children who have missed, either through campaigns or through integrated uh, uh, outreaches, then you have these outbreaks at your hand. So measles is a very good case to see. For example, in the country that I am visiting now, they have had their own measles outbreak, but they managed to implement an integrated campaign in the country to be able to respond to the outbreak, but also to prevent further outbreaks from occurring. And so many other countries have also implemented the same. And big countries like India, for example, are doing their catch-up immunization activity to reach children who are under five with measles vaccination so that they will be able to eliminate measles from their country. So you've laid out the problem very well and explained how COVID interrupted routine childhood vaccinations. And in recent weeks, there has been a renewed effort called the Big Catch-Up to revive and restore routine childhood vaccinations and reverse the negative trend that we've seen in the years post-COVID. Can you explain what is the Big Catch-Up and how does it seek to improve the trend? The Big Catch-Up is an effort by all partners who are engaged in immunization UNICEF, the World Health Organization, the Global Alliance for Vaccine, and many other development partners who are supporting immunization, who came together to be able to advocate to governments and support interested governments in conducting the catch-up campaigns or catch-up interventions. And this is an effort that has a three-pronged approach, which is first priority is to catch up on those children who have been missed from the system. The second is to restore services that have been disrupted. And the third is the need to strengthen immunization systems by heavily focusing on primary health care, supporting community health workers, so that today you catch up on those children you missed, but when new children are born, the system is able to reach them sustainably so that you don't need additional campaigns or intensification efforts going forward. So governments will be able to put in these systems in place to be able to reach these children. This could be additional outreach campaigns that they do, could be um, additional health workers that they deploy to rural areas or urban poor areas or conflict-affected settings. 
So the overall catch-up effort focuses on 20 countries that account for some 75% of the zero-dose children in 2021. And are most of those countries in sub-Saharan Africa? Most are, but you'll find countries in different regions. For instance, even the large countries like India, due to absolute numbers, even though their coverage is higher, they are the number one um, I mean, a country that has extremely high number of unvaccinated children. They have been doing their catch-up campaigns in 2022, so we are hopeful that we'll see some form of recovery based on the analysis of their data. You'll find Pakistan, which did not necessarily have much backsliding, especially between 2020 and 2021, but still have a large number of unvaccinated children. Afghanistan is another case in the South Asian region, but you would also find countries such as Brazil, Mexico, Venezuela, who have had seen significant decline in coverage due to issues related to financing, due to issues related to political commitment, and also some supply interruption and vaccine confidence related challenge. The African continent does have a significant number of countries, around 10 out of 20 are in the African continent. And this includes countries like Nigeria, where the northern part has a significant number of unvaccinated children, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and countries like Ethiopia also feature as those countries with large number of zero-dose children that will need to be reached. Almost half of those 67 million children that we are really targeting for catch-up interventions are in the African continent. So there is a need for much more concerted effort in the African continent. So the catch-up campaigns will necessarily be different across each country based on the national and regional and, and local contexts. Could you perhaps just you know walk listeners through you know what a catch-up campaign would look like in a country that you're familiar with that, that you've been working in and with to implement this program? In any country, this catch-up effort would start by clearly identifying where these children are, the ones that are unvaccinated, the ones that have missed out or have dropped out of the vaccination services. And identifying them would require to understand where they are in what sorts of settings and followed by designing clear set of interventions. In many countries, for example, countries who have implemented catch-up campaigns, a good example is India, who have done throughout 2022 additional three to four rounds of intensified effort to reach children who were missed during the pandemic. And their intensified effort involved, one, deploying additional health workers to those communities who are in remote rural areas, in urban poor areas, and increasing the number of you know, vaccination stations that they provide on a weekly basis. In most places, it's once or twice a week, especially if it's an outreach service. So they have increased it to three times to four times so that parents could have more opportunity to have their kids vaccinated. And it also requires, in some places, changing also the policies. Because for those children who missed vaccination, when they get older, above two years old, the system does not have the means to reach them because most of their vaccination policy would limit vaccination to those children who are under two-year-old. So some countries have taken good examples, for example, countries like Angola, Ethiopia, who have expanded the age limit of getting these vaccines based on the World Health Organization's guidance. So following this, countries are expected to deploy the required health worker to reach these children, and reaching these children with full vaccination requires us to do beyond just one campaign. 
it requires us to do at least three rounds of interaction because you cannot provide all vaccines at a time. So you have to at least space it on a monthly basis if a child is a zero dose child. And imagine this is your child and that child had missed all the vaccines. So you would want to make sure this child receives all vaccines and including measles vaccine, which normally would have been provided when the child turns nine months old. So it requires three to four times touch points for a child to be reached. And governments do place also data monitoring mechanisms to see how many children they are reaching. And the final issue would be is vaccine availability, especially for countries who are being supported by the Global Alliance for Vaccine at these days. You will see they are heavily dependent on vaccine supplied by the Alliance and they're expected to pay additional co-financing. So at a global level now, we have prepositions, additional vaccine supply for these countries, and also provided some flexibility when they are able to vaccinate older age children. So there are clearly some logistical and political challenges to implementing a sort of full-bore catch-up campaign. Are there financial constraints as well? I mean, in general, routine childhood vaccinations are one of the more cost-effective global health and public health interventions. But are you seeing right now any sort of funding constraints that are limiting your ability and generally speaking, the global health and public health community's ability to not only catch up to the pre-pandemic levels of reducing the number of zero vaccinated children below 13 million, but getting that number down even further to 10 million or 5 million or 1 million. Right, you are. And, and, and you're raising an important aspect, which also goes beyond the big catch up. And we know vaccination is one of the most impactful investments with high return on investment. So if you invest $1, we estimated that you could have as high as $52 return on investment due to life saved, you know, disease prevented and productivity improved that comes out of vaccination. So it is a worthwhile investment, but it is not without a challenge doing this, especially for those countries that are not Gavi eligible. Those countries that are supported by Gavi, we have been able to make sure that they are going to continue to be supported in their catch-up effort with vaccines and with additional technical assistance and also fundings that are needed to be able to implement the catch-up interventions. And just to explain to listeners, you know, the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunizations, Gavi, they work with a just a, a certain set of low-income countries. These are called the Gavi-eligible countries that you're referring to. But you're saying that you know, Gavi-eligible countries, they're, they're okay because Gavi is there to help them, but there is perhaps a set of higher-income countries that are not as perhaps well-suited because they are not Gavi-eligible. You're right. So there are Gavi eligible countries who are low income, and there is a series of process which qualifies and helps these countries transition out of this support. And it's all heavily dependent on their gross domestic product and the per capita national income that determines whether they continue to be supported by the Gavi Alliance or not. But recently, we have also expanded the eligibility to also include some low middle income countries or lower middle income countries who have been previously supported by Gavi and who had graduated, but due to the pandemic, they had backslided significantly. This includes like countries, for example, Angola, Indonesia, 
and other countries who have been Gavi supported in the past, but have had graduated, but backslided. These are the kinds of new investments that are in place. But for countries like Brazil, for countries like India, Philippines, Vietnam, and Indonesia as well, who are expected to have stronger systems and ability to finance their own vaccine, at least theoretically. But when you go and speak with the governments, they are facing several challenges, and especially the pandemic did not only disrupt vaccination, it has also caused significant economic shocks. In our current estimates, for example, according to the World Bank report, 41 low and middle income countries are unlikely to get back to their pre-pandemic health expenditure level before 2027. So that means these countries are not able to provide additional funding for immunization or other essential health services. And that is why supporting these countries would require additional funding beyond the remits of Gavi, preferably from the governments themselves, but also from the global partners who have the remits to support lower middle income countries that are not supported by Gavi. But you also raised an important aspect of the big catch up, which is lowering the number of children who are zero dose below the 13.3 million that we had in 2019 does require strengthening systems. And that is why we have globally what we call the Immunization Agenda 2030 and the overall effort by the Global Alliance for Vaccine as well to reach more zero-dose children through innovative interventions. And the overall portfolio of Global Alliance for Vaccine now is crafted along reaching the zero-dose children who are in conflict-affected settings or in a very difficult remote rural area that requires innovation and strengthening systems. Lastly, in the coming months and years, are there any key inflection points or trends that you'll be looking towards that will suggest to you whether or not the big catch-up is indeed working? Tomorrow, we have a meeting here in Addis Ababa with 20 country governments, immunization managers and uh, partners from ministries of health who will be sitting down to plan on how they are going to do catch-up. And the big catch-up is planned to be completed in 2023. And hopefully governments will have the capacity and ability to be able to implement it. But we will also be looking forward to the analysis of the 2022 data, which has not been included in our analysis in the State of the World Children report that we just released two weeks ago. But hopefully it will show us also some signs of recovery. Countries such as Pakistan, India have shown a significant recovery. Countries the likes of the Democratic Republic of Congo, even though they have had some backsliding in the first year, they have been able to improve following that. And Nigeria have been able to firmly stand, even though the coverage itself is a bit lower. So reaching these children would require a significant effort. So we'll see in 2022, particularly in July, we'll be releasing the report of 2022 to see whether countries have recovered or not. We are hopeful that many will recover, but only from their annual estimates. Or the process is that we estimate on annual basis the number of children that are expected to be born in that year, and we assess the coverage. But for those children that were missed before those years, then it requires a separate reporting, a separate mechanism to reach these children. And we are hopeful in 2023, by the end of 2023, at least most of these countries will be able to implement their catch-up efforts and able to reach a significant number of children. This will finally result in decreasing outbreaks in so many countries and the suffering that comes with it, but also it will put countries on track 
towards reaching their immunization agenda 2030 goals, which is decreasing zero-dose children or the number of zero-dose children that 13.3 million by at least 50% in 2030. And this is in line with the sustainable development goals as well, which is an intention of freely providing universal health coverage for all. Well, Ephraim, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time and for your work. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate this. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash globaldispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts.